Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 6, Episode 18, Frontierland. Let's get this show on the road. Drew, this is the last episode where I'm recording from my mom's house. So as of next week, we're going to get my usual sound back. Editing-wise, it has not been an issue for me. I've been able to work with it. So again, I think that just goes to show your professionalism and my editing skills. Amazing. I think I'm just really excited to be back at my workstation. (laughs) Kind of like how Dean was super excited to be back in the Old West, segues. How about you give us a recap? Count me down. Three, two, one, go. They apparently figure out after months of research in then breaking into Samuel's secret lab, we have a opening scene that is Dean in the Old West in a shootout, and it kind of ends like, oh, what's going to happen? And then we get like a cool parody intro, which I will talk about later. We find Samuel's secret library where he's built all this information, including what Dean finds and kind of hoards to himself like a collector's item, which I mean, I understand completely because I do the same thing. Samuel Colt's journal that describes him shooting a phoenix. So they're like, that means phoenixes are real. And clearly we'll just use time travel because that's the only move they have. And they go back in time to the Old West where Dean kind of gets, eh, well, yeah, not, not the happiest time for him. They track down the phoenix, who of course is just a human being as usual, as we've learned. While this is happening, Cass is betrayed by Rachel. Oh yeah, Rachel's in this episode. Oh yeah, Rachel's a thing. Uh, or was a thing, because she's immediately murdered as soon as she betrays Cass, because obviously Cass is the best, but Cass gets injured and needs to carefully use Bobby's soul and not blow him up to be able to actually pull the brothers back. And oh no, he pulled them out a second too soon. But oh wait, Samuel Colt just sent them the ashes thousands of uh, hundred something years in the future uh time that's about it it's a lot though <laughs> i realized i was like oh my god when does this end when do i run out of things to say we're getting a lot of lore we're getting a lot of gags gags and lore is pretty much what this episode is all about <laughs> we were talking about new merch ideas gags and lore that's the gags <laughs> and lore <laughs> oh my god what did you think overall of the episode I liked it. I genuinely liked it. I feel like it rode the line between like funny and informational well. I feel like we got a really good amount of development out of Dean more than Sam, but Sam still got some while interacting with uh, Samuel. Again, the reuse of names here. Do we know if Samuel Campbell is named after Samuel Culp? That'd be a weird coincidence otherwise. All is fair in love and war. Like, (laughs) Genuinely, I enjoyed it. I really had no major issues with the episode. All right. Well, then let's uh, let's have a look at the long game because we do have a few things to look at. So the road so far is actually from the end of season two in All Hell Breaks Loose. And I went back to my notes for that episode and part of the long game read, um, and I quote, first time we hear more of Samuel Colt, exclamation <laughs> mark. And then right below that says the Colt is back, which is really funny because like, Like, same. (laughs) I I mean, that's the point of the road so far. It's to go back and remind us of things that might be a little bit behind us. So it would make sense that the episode that they were referencing, if we go back to, we bring up the points that are worth remembering. 
We're introduced to the Campbell Family Library, and let me reassure you, Drew, that we never, ever hear about it ever again. You know what? I feel like that's kind of the curse with any kind of show like this. Like, this isn't a supernatural problem, per se. Um, And I think the example I kind of joked about earlier is Cass's ability to send them back in time. And while he, this episode states, I'm never doing that again as an arbitrary I'm just not doing that again, and that's why we're not going to have this as a tool going forward. Because I feel like giving the brothers the ability to go back to a previous time based on something they found in a diary or journal just gives them way too much power. And the fact they've only thought to abuse it now, and then that they needed a way to be like, and that was the last time ever, from what I gathered. It's disappointing, I find, that we never hear about this again, uh, because, again, it could have been like a really cool piece of family lore, because Campbell and Winchester, like, I mean, they do come from both families. Anyway, but I will say that I, well, and, and here I'm really thinking about the people who have watched the Winchesters, that maybe one or two books in this library could maybe be from uh, the clubhouse. We are told that Phoenix Ash can kill Eve. Is it kill or hurt? I feel like it only said hurt her. I mean, if it can burn her and you can, like, smother it on her enough, I suppose you could kill her, right? Like, Especially in Supernatural, there's a very big difference between this will have an effect on them versus this will outright be the way to kill them. Which just makes me feel like this is going to be another one of those, let's confront Lucifer. Oh no, we didn't work. Back to square one. I guess we will just have to see. I feel like that's a, that should be a catchphrase at this point, but continue. I mean, I know, <laughs> but I guess you will have to see. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Direct order. Uh, looks like Samuel had managed to find Samuel Colt's journal, which contained an entry about killing a phoenix with like, his special gun that he had created, right? This entire moment, like, literally that entire sitting-at-a-table conversation, everything from finding the book to not sharing it with Sam to being, like, giddy that they found this, like, cool relic of Hunter history, and then to immediately bring it into some really nerdy Star Trek bullshit was just, like, mwah. Love it. Absolutely. Uh, now, just to do a little bit of tracking, like the last time that we saw the cult was in Abandon All Hope in season five, when Dean tried to shoot Lucifer with it, but it didn't actually kill him. Dean drops the gun, and we just haven't heard about what happened to it since. Yeah, that seems like a problem, and I'm looking forward to maybe finding out what happened to it. Maybe. We do find out that Bobby has only watched Deep Space Nine and that Sam doesn't understand Star Trek references and that Dean is very upset about all of this. I personally don't understand much of that, but I will let my Trekkie friends like tell me what this all means. If they were all watching Star Trek, they would all know it from each other. So the fact that Dean references it, Bobby's like, I watch but not the same series as you, makes me feel like they've kept it secret for a long time. And then Sam's just a Star Wars nerd, clearly. Maybe Dean, maybe Dean watched it when he was uh, when Sam was in Stanford, and that's why Sam doesn't know about it. Sam says that Dean has a cowboy fetish. Very specific, not just mm, the word fetish was very, very well chosen. Very judiciously used, I believe. Uh, the set that's used in this episode is also the same set that was used in All Hell Breaks Loose Part 1 when Sam and the special children are gathered together for their own version of the Hunger Games. 
Yeah, there's a really weird thing. I think it's the opening, um, like, uh, cold open where they're in the Old West having the shootout, which obviously is how the episode basically ends. And that was the first thought I had. I was like, isn't this the town? Like, I, I assume they were going to make that connection at some point that it's the same town and it's relevant. And I was just, okay, no. Set dressing, man. It is what it is. Dean introduces himself as Marshall Clint Eastwood and then introduces Sam as Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah, which is kind of funny considering that Jared was, you know, was going to go on to star as Walker in the reboot of like Walker, Texas Ranger. I just want to highlight again that just like in Free to Be You and Me, Dean heard uh, a sex worker scream and was the first one to run toward her. That Dean, he's a hero and he knows it. Rachel tells Cass that she knows his dirty little secret and that this isn't the way to defeat Raphael. So clearly whatever Cass is planning to do with these human souls, which we now know are an energy source for angels, is clearly something that is frowned upon. Cass uses the power of Bobby's soul to accelerate his healing and go back to get the brothers in the past. I like this. This is a really like nice way in-universe, in-story to kind of help us understand without being just here some exposition like rachel's feels a little expositiony but like the bobby and casting just feels like a good way for the audience like oh that's what souls are good for they are they do this to angels like we can now infer things good storytelling so i need to bring up one really weird thing and i'm wondering if you have the answer or if we're gonna have to do a quick google search um the intro with like the map that's burning away and the title comes up do you know what that's a reference to absolutely not Cool. It's one of those moments where I know it's a reference to something, not because I know the source material, but because there is an episode of The Simpsons where a character from an Old West show shows up and they recreate that intro for him on stage where they literally burn a map and he steps through and they have to come out and like put out the fire. Okay. Uh, And I just, I can't remember what show this character was supposed to be from, but I know that's the intro to that show and it's an Old West Cowboys and Indian old school spaghetti Western TV show. Bonanza, that's the name of the show. Thank you, Google. All right, well, let's go have a look at our theme for this week. So this week, we will be talking about reality, which, surprise, surprise, also has Latin roots. It originally means relating to things, uh, real, actual. And if we're going to look at, like, the word real... It's really about like tangible things, like concrete things, like belonging to the thing itself, property, goods, etc. And then a little bit later, the meaning of real as genuine was starting to be recorded. And that was a little bit later in the 1550s. Maybe the sense of like genuine and particularly when it comes to like expectations versus reality here uh, is going to be really, really useful to talk about this episode. I feel like I had I had a really concrete, you know, pun intended there, uh, vision of what reality meant and how it played a role in everyone's story this week. Would you say that you had a good grip on reality? <laughs> oh, we are terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, dad jokes. We were just saying that we needed more dads in podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> or one less dad in podcasting, you know what I mean? But... I think the part that kind of like I gravitated to in analyzing their kind of reactions to reality was sort of that old, like, I don't want to say like a cliche of like never meet your heroes, 
because it you know you idealize something you you have an image of something in your mind and if i can get to dean this week it it's kind of really like one of those moments where the writing was very well done but very blunt you know dean is getting a decent dose of reality regarding how he imagined and idealized the old west and he is now seeing this world that he was so rooted in his mentality you know he he dresses up initially like what he pictures the Old West to look like. The fantasy version of it he grew up on. And then he finally gets there himself. And it is like meeting a celebrity and expecting it to go one way because you've seen all their movies and you knew all the interviews. And then they are just nothing like what they seem. Everyone in the Old West just like kind of just like looks down on him, sees him as like an outsider immediately. He doesn't fit in. He is so he is so not the right role and the entire world is not what he expected. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, when we talked about the theme, like originally I really wanted to go with fantasy as a theme for this episode because I thought that it worked so well. But like we've already we've already talked about fantasy in season four. So I was like, okay, well, let's not start repeating themes. I don't think that that's a good idea. And so this is why like reality... I think seems so harsh to Dean. It's because he had such a fantasy in his mind of what this was going to be like. But a fantasy is just that. It's a fantasy, right? And in those, like, we tend to ignore the reality of, like, modern medicine and modern dentistry and modern installations, like showers and washing machines and maybe even the comfort of modern whiskey. (laughs) Yeah, he's faced with seeing something he once considered perfect and infallible as messy and dirty and just kind of gross. You know, he even he even ends up getting mocked for coming off as queer, uh, you know, with the clean clothes and looking for a man. Um, and just I'm going to take a note out of the writing of this episode and uh, be very blunt. It's almost like the Old West is a metaphor for John. Something he once saw is infallible and perfect and great. He is now getting to see in reality. And it turns out it's none of those things. Woo! I am so glad that you're offering me this segue on a silver platter. Because I also saw the Old West as being a metaphor, but I saw it as being a metaphor for masculinity, particularly Dean's relationship to masculinity. Because I think that Dean likes to think of himself as a very specific kind of man. And to do that, he has to perform a very specific kind of masculinity. And the men in the Old West, like as portrayed in Supernatural anyway, are performing that kind of masculinity with so much more ease than Dean like it's so much it's effortless for them like they ooze that kind of masculinity that Dean like really really yearns for and you know like you said they make fun of his clothes for being too clean they make fun of him because he says he's looking for a man they make fun of his quote-unquote blanket um they make fun of him choking on the whiskey and and the thing that I I can't look away from is that in every example that we've discussed, like Dean specifically performed masculinity, but he performed it wrong. Like he specifically went out 
picked out and bought new clothes for this. You know, he's using phrases that he saw in Westerns. He's ordering whiskey instead of like salsparilla. And he does all those things because he so desperately wants to fit within this very narrow, exhausting, and frankly kind of toxic brand of masculinity. There is clearly a reality he tries to portray in himself. He tries to fool reality into seeing him one way. And when he's really put up against a much more rigorous version of that test, i.e. this old Western, super gritty and like toxic masculine world, he is so far removed from it. Because even in his wildest dreams, the old West was still cool and collected and not scummy. Mm, exactly. And I think that what this is kind of like calling us to notice is that this isn't actually Dean. Like there's a disconnect between who Dean thinks he should be and who he really is. And I think that if he allowed himself to really be himself, like the way that he would express, not perform, the way that he would express his masculinity would be very, very different. And by the way, like it wouldn't really, it really wouldn't take anything away from how much of a badass Dean is. Like, the way men express their masculinity doesn't actually make them more or less of a man. Like, Dean would be just as much of a man if he allowed himself to, like, wear slippers and a robe over some PJs, you know? Yeah, and I think there's a great transformational moment here in Dean where he really just embraces his role in this town, and that is truly at the end when he has his face off of Finch. And... I think that's a moment where he is no longer trying to fit in. He is being himself and he suddenly begins to fit in more specifically in the sheriff role as in being a protector and savior type. And I think there's, there's something really nice there that like the reality of who Dean is, is him being himself versus trying to be what he thinks he needs to be. Mm -hmm. There's one more thing that I want to mention and it's how happy Dean was to pray to Cass and how disappointed he was when Cass didn't show up and sent someone instead. Like, he was so totally expecting to see his boyfriend, and instead, like, he deputized someone else to answer his prayer, and he was just slammed with a big dose of reality there. Yeah, I that, I, that was one of the most, I think, shocking moments of the episode to me. I was like, who is this person? I think I think ultimately Dean definitely got a really good episode out of this. I think he learned something and I think actually came up on the other end better in a very like I don't think it's like a concrete like he's going to like remember this and quote it going forward, but I think to us as a viewer there's a very clear evolution of who he is who he is now from where he started this episode at. Well, Sam is not down for things the way Dean is. I mean, for him this is clearly just a job he even tried to you know, see meeting Samuel Colt as just purely part of the job. But I think there's kind of this clear, like, and we see it when they find the the journal, that Sam kind of sees Samuel in a celebrity-esque way. Um, understandably, given that he's the only person ever having a gun that can kill demons. And reality hits Sam as he finds Mr. Colt. I feel weird calling him Samuel, because we've already had a Samuel, so I'm calling him Mr. Colt to deal with it. <laughs> Who he expected to be this gung-ho to help them and potentially already on his way to save the day but what he finds is just another old and tired hunter who just wants nothing to do with this and while Colt claims he's out 
we did just see him take out two demons. So again, even he has to deal with that reality that you never really get out of the game. You can stop hunting, but the hunt never ends. I mean, really, Sam comes face to face with like a different version of Bobby. Like, that's what happens. But I, 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 I like what you said here, because I think that Sam isn't hit with the reality of the Old West as much as Dean because like he didn't have a fantasy about it. Right. And so when you have very few or low expectations, like you're less likely to be hit by the reality of it. Yeah, I think there's also a level two where like because he didn't idolize it the way Dean did, he only ever knew it for more of a historically accurate point of view versus the fantastical film version of it. Like he went in kind of expecting what he got, you know, for Sam, the reality of this adventure is that he knows it's just a job. And even then the expectations we've set without meaning to, such as Colt being some kind of hero can lead to disappointment. It's not like he went in expecting a hero, but he went in with like a base level expectation, like not idolizing him and was still disappointed. Uh, where Dean was let down by his ideal time in the Old West, Sam is let down by someone he had expected to be great without idolizing them. Exactly. And like when they're in the one hit wonder uh, Campbell family library at the beginning of the episode, Sam is like so excited to read Samuel Colt's journal. And Dean is being like the typical older sibling and telling him to like get his own. His own. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So good. <laughs> that to me is one of those most adorable little moments. <laughs> it's like it's so relatable. Um, can you tell I'm excited to go see my sister? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I completely agree that Sam was kind of idolizing Samuel Colt. And then when he was faced with the reality of who he was, he was disappointed. And I mean, like, I think that that makes a lot of sense, right? Because like we do that all the time. We read books or journals, um, about or written by people who have died and then we make like our own ideas of who they were and we the thing is like these people rarely ever announce their terrible traits right like and this happens all the time like there's people from history that we really look up to and then you scratch just a little bit and you find out that they were like misogynists or anti-semites and i think in this case like quote unquote luckily samuel colt is like just a grumpy old man yeah, I feel like while I was writing this whole section talking about uh, Samuel Colt, I wanted to compare him to characters like, uh, weirdly enough, my first instinct was Steve Jobs, who is like praised for all these amazing things. But like, when you really get down to the brass tacks, he He's was kind not of an a asshole. good person. Yeah, I know, he, he really was a wasn't. Dick. <laughs> he was he, a dick. He did some amazing things. And like, some awful kudos, ones too. But he was an asshole while doing those things. You know what? Like I, I've, I've, I've talked about it at lengths on multiple platforms related to this podcast. How I have been very lucky with the celebrities I have met, but every time there's a chance to meet a new one, I'm always so cautious because I know this is a chance. This is the one who breaks my heart. What about Cass? Because we do have like a little bit of uh, Cass going on. Well, speaking of someone breaking my heart, uh, he has some explaining to do. Who the hell or heaven? is Rachel, and while I kind of want to learn more about her and her connection to all of this, it seems I'm going to be out of luck as she doesn't even get two full scenes. Uh, but they do speak <laughs> well, no, she's to a the woman. reality. I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, there, there's your reason. <laughs> uh, they do speak to the reality of the situation that Cass is in. Like the brothers, we are kind of set up to believe he's fighting for a just cause and he's the 
right side of this war. But we don't really know anything about it. Like, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and assume they're setting him up to be a villain or the bad guy in some way. But, like, we don't really get to see what's going on. And clearly he's doing something that not everyone, even on his side, is on board with. Like, the way he kind of says to Bobby that he had to kill Rachel because she betrayed him. It makes it sound like she had switched sides versus just questioning his decisions and maybe thinking he wasn't the right leader anymore. Uh, yeah. So the reality of what he's up to is something they will, and I'm sure, have to deal with eventually. Okay, so here's the thing. Like, what do you think is going on? Like, what do you think his dirty little secret is? I assume there is some ability that he can use to defeat Raphael that requires using human souls in a sense that will actually use up the soul unlike just Bobby's where he used it for power he'd actually have to do the big boom part of it and essentially it's a I could sacrifice a bunch of human souls and win this war and that might be the only way and it's it's very much the same drinking the demon blood going I know this is wrong but I'm doing it to save the world. And that clearly worked the first time, so I'm sure Cass is perfectly fine killing a bunch of humans for their souls so he can do the same thing. It's It would be really interesting if that was the, like the storyline for Cass, which would mirror Sam's from season four. Because it would be, it, I mean, from a storytelling perspective, it would be a great way to put Sam in Dean's shoes where he's basically watching it happen and going like, and then eventually obviously making the connection and being like, no, you know how wrong this is. You tried to stop me from doing it. Don't be me. So, okay, hold on. So in a case like this, like, what do you think would happen? Like with Sam and Dean particularly, like, and because if this is what's going on, eventually they would find out, right? So what happens when they find out? So they find out. And then I think that means setting up cast for a temporary villain arc or probably knowing the show like a one episode or two parter where they confront him about it he denies it he uses a small portion of his power and actually does some irreversible damage but realizes how traumatic and difficult it is and it's not worth it and then agrees to work with them and bring them into the loop a little more and try to find a better solution like that's very well thought out and good which means the show's not gonna do it so i'm curious to see what they actually do (laughs) it'll be fun that's for sure this episode was written by Andrew Dabb and Daniel Laughlin, directed by Guy B, and it originally aired on April 22nd, 2011. Well, I'll be damned. Again, these two just keep getting better every time they've popped up. And given, and I'm, we discussed this in a previous episode, going to the Old West in a very, like, romanticized Western film version of the Old West that Dean pictures is an incredibly problematic space they were playing in. And I'm rather impressed they didn't screw it up. So what's in Samuel Colt's journal today? The sun was perfectly overhead. Nothing was casting a shadow as far as the eye could see. The heat was unbearable and dry. There hadn't been rain for days now. Folks in town were getting mighty worried about it. The town's main street, the town's only street, was empty. Until that is, it walked out from somewhere and stood square in the middle, its eyes trained on the doors of the saloon. I finished the last shot of my drink, 
and tossed a few coins onto the table. The sound of those metal discs clinging against the glass echoed throughout the entire city. It was only after this we'd hear just how silent things were. I pushed open the doors and made my way to the center of the road to meet my adversary. It stood several feet taller than myself and made the rest of the cowering townsfolk hiding behind barrels and peeking from windows seem even smaller than they already were. I watched the hulking thing reach for its weapon, slowly, as if just to remind me of its existence, and that it knew exactly how to use it. I did the same, presenting the iron piece seated in its leather sheath strapped to my side. Suddenly, it felt like time had stopped. I no longer felt the heat bearing down from the sun, but instead a cold burst shot through me, as if the thing's breathing were an icy arrow meant just for me. I saw its fingers twitch, ever so slightly too close to its weapon, and I made my move. It did the same in response, and it was fast. Faster than me. I felt the searing pain of the hot metal now lodged into my arm. However, while it may have been faster to fire, I was better. And while it landed it shot a bit too far to the left of its target, mine landed true. Mine landed true. For as I dropped my gun and grabbed my arm to stem the bleeding, it dropped to the dusty ground, six smoking holes now burning away at the thing as it began to crumble to dust. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I love it. And what thoughts do you have to share with us this week? I really wanted to talk about this here because it's just a little bit off theme, uh, but it's still kind of within the realm of like narrative analysis. So just deviating a little tiny bit. Uh, I want to talk about the moment when Cass shows up in the Campbell family library after Dean and Rachel start arguing. You know, he tells her to leave and that he's going to come back when he can. She leaves. Dean goes, friend of yours. And Cass is like, yeah, she's one of my lieutenants. She's dedicated. And then he sort of trails off and he looks back at Dean and he goes, what do you need? And I want to bring this up because I think that it shows like the beginning of a pattern for Cass, where he knows that Dean will only pray to him if he needs something. And therefore, he thinks that his only value to Dean is his usefulness. Well, so to be fair, I think that Dean only calls him when he needs something because he's too busy performing a masculinity that doesn't actually allow him to call Cass for shits and giggles. And so he's using I need your help as like an excuse to call him, right? Like, oh, I need your help. There's something going on in my apartment. I don't know how to fix it, you know? like. But what Cass is seeing is that Dean only calls him when he needs his help. And so we're kind of entering a bit of a... a a dance almost like a pattern between Dean and Cass. And I think that we really do need to keep this in mind because it's going to have like really big implications for later. You just gave me a weird mental image of um, weirdly a movie we brought up very briefly in the last few weeks was the movie holes. Um, but the, the, the school teacher who keeps having the, the guy she likes come fix things around the school and she keeps finding an excuse for him to stay longer. Uh, she's like, oh, well, the door is sticky. Oh, the windows don't open properly. And he's always like, I can fix that. Um, I'm just sort of picturing that moment where, like, we're getting to a point where Dean is like, um, I need you to water these plants because I'm bad at it. Like, just like, I need an excuse to call you and I've run out of them. And Cass will just be like, of course, it's an excuse to be with you. And just like, you idiots, 
kiss. Idiots in love, I tell you. Idiots in love. All right, let's go listen to what our community has to say this week. This week, we have a message from Ricky Lin from TikTok. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail to respond to anything we discussed today. You can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingbayword at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Mary and I will be answering the question, where in time would you like to spend 24 hours for our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Talk? Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. Hey, Drew. Hey, Mary. Uh, This is Ricky Lynn from TikTok. I am just getting caught up on all of the most recent episodes that you guys have done, and I just wanted to kind of touch on something that you guys discussed when you were talking about the episode Swap Meet, which is honestly one of my favorite episodes. Uh, I just love the whole body swap scenario. And um, I just kind of wanted to delve into it a little bit further in depth as to uh, what it would be like if we had actually gotten a Sam and Dean body swap episode. I have always felt like that was a missed opportunity in the show. So I was really excited to hear that you guys mentioned it and uh, what a travesty it was that we never got that. And, um, you know, when you think of other media that gets to um, play around with that kind of plot line, like Freaky Friday and things like that, um, you get to see how the characters learn a lesson about the other character. And I just kind of wanted to hear you guys talk about what lesson you think that Sam would have learned about Dean in that scenario and vice versa. So um, I also wanted to hear you guys talk about what part of the series so far would have been a really cool time for that episode to be because I feel like the lessons that they would learn would really vary depending on the um, plot line of what is going on at that time. And um, yeah, I just, I also wanted to say, I think it would just have been really funny to see, you know, um, Dean wake up in Sam's body feeling totally refreshed and feeling really healthy and good for probably the first time ever. And then to see Sam wake up in Dean's body, probably feeling a little bit hungover, um, maybe some heartburn going on and just all around not having a great time. Um, So aside from the comedic value that I feel an episode like that would have been, uh, I just kind of wanted to hear you guys talk a little bit more about the lessons that you think that they would have learned about each other uh, from doing something like that. So uh, anyway, thank you guys so much for this podcast. I absolutely love listening and I don't think that I have ever listened to less than three episodes of yours in a row. So um, definitely binge worthy and I can't wait to hear more. Thank you guys. Bye. I love this. I think one of my favorite things, and clearly I'm, I can speak truth to it because I have created my own mini segment on the show for between seasons called Quick Fix, which I'm plugging here because I can, where this is basically the premise of what we do is we come up with ideas for episodes that never were. Um, and while I 
haven't had a guest suggest a body swap episode, uh, the first episode featuring Audra Stevenson's of the Gate Leapers, we do kind of touch on like a little bit of like a switching sides thing. And I really like the idea of, I feel like it would start as like a prank episode. Like just, oh, I have the opportunity to do all these things I couldn't do before because I'm in your skin. Like I could see Sam and Dean's body going to get like a new haircut or something. Like just something like, or like a manicure, a pedicure or something. Actually, I think really funny would be the idea of Sam as Dean going to get like a mani-pedi and they do the manicure and they go to take his boots off and go, oh, you've had a pedicure recently. And he's like, I have? <laughs> and like reveal that Dean, Dean, much like Bobby, just enjoys a good pedicure. Uh, and I just think that'd be like adorable little things. But I like the idea you said, like that it, it's a fun concept, but it makes sense that it would be like most of the show, an opportunity to learn something. And I like the idea. So kind of going back to what I had said when I spoke to Audra about the idea of them kind of having to fill a role for the other one was the idea of them being forced into a scenario. Um, I think the example we gave without ruining too much was kind of the idea of like having to go somewhere that only one of them can get into. So in this case, it's a school related thing. And because of pre-existing credits, Sam was able to get into this class. So now Dean has to go at Sam and he's like, oh, nerd stuff. I don't want to do nerd stuff. And then ends up having a great experience there and realizing like, oh, maybe there is something to like higher education and like following your heart and studying things and like learning about the world. Again, if you want to hear more details on that, I recommend the quick fic. Uh, but I do love that idea of kind of like a started out as a prank, as like a, not a prank gone wrong, but whatever the case is, they're now pranking each other because they have the opportunity while trying to work on a case that obviously is tied to their switching. And then they end up having to do something that is very unique to the the skin they're in and then realizing that they can find joy in something else that their brother enjoys that they always thought was not for them. I okay so first off Ricky I I love this prompt like so much thank you so much for this voicemail I love all your TikToks um so yeah I'm very happy that you reached out to us listen so the thing is of course because I am who I am I am going to take this way too far I'm so sorry I apologize um so the thing that's really interesting about like the body swaps is what happens to the social relationships, like the social aspects of it afterwards. So like what happens when people that you know treat you as somebody else? And then you're kind of seeing like the responsibilities, like the social, like what it means to be this person like out in the world, right? But Sam and Dean like don't really have like social connections other than like Bobby and Cass. Right. And Bobby would be like the first person that they would call telling them like, Bobby, Bobby, we need help. And so Bobby would not would know immediately. And then I think maybe that it could be kind of interesting to see how Cass would react to such a body swap and how the brothers would react to this. And Sam being like Sam in Dean's body being like, Cass, why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> I actually want to take it a step further and say they call Bobby and then they're like, Bobby, something crazy happened. He goes, you switched bodies? Then he go, yeah, how do you know? And he's like, he's like, yeah, because I'm standing here looking at myself, trying to figure out why his wings aren't there. And Cass and Bobby have switched too. Well, yes, that is definitely a step further. But so, so then knowing that they don't really have like, um, like a social network 
the way that like other characters who have been in that position before have, then what lesson could they learn? It would have to have to do with like their bodies, right? Their embodiment of of the other. And so I think that like it would arise as like conflict because like Dean and Sam's body would be drinking like heavily the way that he usually does. And then Sam would be like, stop drinking with my body. Like you're ruining my gains. <laughs> you're ru- I thought you were going to be like, my poor liver did up my gains. Well, yes. Well, all of that, right? Because Sam takes care of his body in a way that Dean does not. Right. And so I think that like, that would be, a different thing. And then I think, Ricky, like you said, like Sam would realize the damage to Dean's body, meaning like the alcohol cravings, um, the pain of waking up, like the fact that he, you know, and so I think that that could be interesting to kind of like to explore. But I do think that the brothers, because they don't have like an extended friend group or family all that much it where we are anyway in the series like i think that it would very much have to stay within like each other in in order for this to be possible and i think that that's probably why they never actually did it because they're like well what's gonna happen right but about where this would have been interesting to do i think that my first instinct was to say season four so that because the tension between Sam and Dean in season four is like so strong. Right. But I feel like this, it would have been too much, right? Like the, the tension was so high that I don't think there was room for any kind of understanding. And so in order to circumvent the social problem, maybe this should have happened in season one when Sam still had friends so that was kind of my place too. I, I'm fairly certain I'm in season one when I say Scarecrow. I think right after Scarecrow. They just had a separation. They were back together. They were still like, okay, we got to try to make this work now. Here's an opportunity for them to literally walk a mile in the other one's shoes. Get to know each other a little better after being estranged for how many years. Yeah, I fully agree. I think that uh, where we are now anyway, I think that there's very good possibilities for that in later seasons that I think would have been even more interesting because they do begin to have a social circle that's more important than two. So I think, yeah, I think my real answer is for later, but up to where we are now, season one after Scarecrow, I think is a really great spot. I agree with you. Yeah, thank you for this prompt. I loved it. Do you want to get us started? You know, we can build things up both for good and for bad. Uh, You know, you can set expectations have recently done this and I literally today at work got called out for my mood being a little less cheerful than usual and I realized it's clearly tied to the fact that I had expectations of one thing and they were not met but it was purely me setting my own expectations so while I think there is a fine line between hyping yourself up within reason for things there's also overextending and going too far both negative and positive so it's just again to remind myself that I need to be a little more realistic sometimes Ooh, that's a tough one. Thanks for sharing. It is, and thank you. And what thoughts and reflections would you have for us this week? Lately, I've been thinking a lot about like what healthy, or maybe maybe I should say like secure masculinity looks like, as opposed to like the more toxic version of masculinity that we often see as like 
the most manly and the most desirable. Okay. And I, I think that this episode is a really good starting point for thinking about that, especially if we're looking at Dean's story arc. And I feel called to think about the difference between expressing masculinity and performing it. Thank you for bringing this up. Very simply. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Marie Vigoureux and myself, Drew Shulman. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, Katira, L, and Jeremiah Thomas. This week, we'd like to thank Ricky Lynn for her message. You can find the links to all our social media and our merch store at carryingwayward.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to us. If you like Carrying Wayward and you'd like to support us in our project to go through all 15 seasons of Supernatural, you can support us through Coffee or Patreon, and you can find those links at carryingwayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends! Yeah, I think that's kind of like the reality of every like time in history, right? Like anything that I'm thinking of, I'm like, yeah, but think about that. Like, you know, for example, I'm like, oh, it would be so cool to like go back to um like the 1910s and then i'm like but they didn't have plumbing like <laughs> <laughs> but that's also i think the magic of the 24-hour rule like i could hold it for 24 hours if i really had to or at least prepare a little bit before you go um that like you like it kind of breaks away like another one i had thought of was like those weird kind of mystery moments in history um uh the one that comes to mind because it's brought up recently was the case of db cooper I don't know if you know if you know D.B. Cooper. You know what? It, people might not know. The brief version. Google it. But the brief version is mystery man hijacked a plane, got some money, got off the plane. No one's ever seen him again. No one knows what happened to him. I would love to be like somewhere on the sidelines seeing this happen to figure out like, ah, now I know. Or at least have an idea.